take from the comfort of my couch, but unfortunately, I'm stuck in the bunker again today. Specifically, I'm stuck in the bunker's ventilation system. Vents always look so spacious and easy to crawl through in the spy movies, but it's pretty much all a lie. I've lost the feeling in my legs three hours ago. It's just pins and needles and pain. Also, from my time in here, I've determined that Josh has a massive pest control problem. I've seen so, so many rats today. On the bright side, I'm staring straight down at Josh. Watched him watch cat videos for hours before a guest arrived. His name is Chris Joyce, CEO of Gusher. Another mastermind for Josh's plan, I'm sure. Oh, they're starting. Here we go, listeners. All right, Chris, thank you so much for uh, joining me in the lair. Uh, how was your flight, by the way? My flight was amazing, Josh, especially coming to <laughs> And I apologize, as I do with, with all of my guests. Uh, as you know, I'm on this kind of this top secret Napoleon Hill project. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I apologize for all the intense security, but um, I, I just know that, you know, as I've hand-selected these, these greatest minds on this subject, I, I just know that uh, there would be utter chaos in the world if this information got out. Uh, and so it's really important that we kind of decide how we release this, uh, just to make sure that we don't cause too much chaos in the world. Uh, you know, economies would, you know, imagine what would happen to economies if, if, if they had all of this. They would crumble. But I just wonder if, you know, putting on the blindfold went a little too far. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, uh, and and uh, what you don't know is, uh, you know, we've got the men in black too, and and they'll have you stare at a little stick pin too, and so uh, that way you'll have you'll have no memory of this. I'm good. With uh, that. And so, 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 Chris, um, so you're the founder and CEO of Gusher, and um, can can you just so from your perspective, and I'm going to be taking notes here. Um, what led you to Gusher, and then just go ahead and. Um, for my notes' sake, here uh, kind of explain what gusher does, yeah, and we're sure. not by the we're not talking about the candy gusher, although those are delicious. That's gushers, but yeah, sure. Uh, gusher itself I, it was born out of uh, some monstrous partner failure. Uh, so to make a long story short, I had what's called a landmine partner. Uh, a landmine partner oh is just like its name sounds. Is one of those things where you're stuck in the middle of nowhere and you suddenly hear a click and you realize you're on a landmine. And you kind of have almost two options. One, if you lift your leg, you're going to blow up and probably die. And the second is you're stuck out in the middle of nowhere and you can't move your leg. So you're going to have to survive for a while. And mm -hmm. Gusher was one of those scenarios where I had always done what are called time equity type of deals. Uh, but it was really out of desperation that we put Gusher out there uh, into the world to go ahead and give it a shot. And sure enough, it just started working. So the concept behind Gusher, um, can, can you explain it in your words? Because it's, when I look at it, I, I, I don't know how you're able, I don't know how you've been able to pull this off, quite frankly, sure. because it well, seems like one of those, like, you know, if, if this could only work in a perfect world, but it's so hard um, to, to connect these entities in a way where it, and it actually can work. I'll let you explain it. Yeah, sure. G think of Gusher as this way. What, I'm going to ask you one question, Josh. What's the biggest barrier that most people think is when it comes to starting a business? What's the number one barrier? And you say money. All right. Because yeah, well, I mean, I would say money, you know, because there's always so much that you want to do 
And, you know, in, in our world, I see so many, I mean, pretty much everyone's bootstrapping in my world. Sure. But and, wait, think just wait, if you're doing like a standard startup, what is that money used for? You know, the number one thing that that money is used for is people. So in, yeah. in, in openness and transparency, if you're really doing a startup, your number one barrier that you have to overcome is people. Well, Gusher solves that. People come together and they work for equity in the startup to bring it to life. It's as simple as that. So you don't need money. You don't need capital. What you need is people to go ahead and bring your idea to life, to be able to unlock that idea, whatever it is inside your head, and actually bring it to market. If you have enough people, you have the right people, you can do it. If you don't, it doesn't come to life. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And so, uh, so Movi, or I'm sorry, Movi is Movi. what led you to this. That was the landmine company. That, right? that was, yeah, actually, we had three companies simultaneously at the time. Movi was one of them, but Movi was our, a really interesting company. We had launched, uh, and it was launched at the same time, believe it or not, as Snapchat, right before Snapchat. And wow. Snapchat, uh, yeah, and our timing was pretty much dead on. We, it was what's called an asynchronous video messaging platform. I send a mm. video, you send a video, et cetera. Yes. And that's the way it's done versus live. Uh, and what ends up happening is we had where a very large social networking company, which will remain anonymous, uh, ended up actually decompiling the software, sticking it into their messenger platform. And when you're dealing with investment and investors, that's one of those things that you have to disclose during the process. You have to say yeah. if something like that happens, otherwise it's what's called a material omission. So, you know, we had to disclose that and we knew it would end up being basically the death of the company uh, mm -hmm. because the second the big boys start adopting your technology and incorporating it into their platform, it's kind of almost in a way bye-bye. And that's what mm -hmm. happened with Movi. Although we had massive distribution and our product was in 148 countries with a ton of users out there, we made the decision that really it was becoming more of a commodity versus a standalone entity. How can a company? How can a company protect themselves from that? Uh, Is there any way to do that? That that's rough because even right now, believe it or not, we were just granted yet patents on the technology in the last month, even though this was years ago. So we had filed all these different patents on the technology, and you think that patents actually afford you protection. Uh, but when you're dealing with larger entities, they look at it as a cost of doing business just to violate the patent. So almost in a way, you kind of just roll the dice, and hopefully you have market or branding advantages that the technology in and of itself isn't your core technical advantage or could, shouldn't be your core advantage that you're basing your whole business on. Because if you're basing it just upon a technology that can be reverse engineered or copied or something else, trust me when I say this, it's going to be copied in some way, shape, or fashion. So if anything, right. you have to have your, your brand sticky. You have to have your core philosophy sticky. You have to have your community sticky uh, to go ahead and be able to scale and do certain things and not just make it about the technology. Technology is a commodity uh, that decreases in value every day. You know, it doesn't increase in value. It's just the exact opposite. So it's very, very difficult to protect yourself uh, other than getting momentum and having the market behind you. That's your main protection, getting revenue, momentum, and market behind you. So there's no recourse through the patent and trademark office. Oh, no, it it, but but it's, it's one of those things that's going to take us 5, 10, 15 years, if anything. Yeah. So, yeah, and we think that there's, you know, obviously big upside potential on that and we're going to pursue it, you know, as time goes on. Uh, but it's not one of those things that you can just go ahead and go in and instantly get a payoff. It's something that in and of itself has a tremendous cost. Patent litigation is insanely expensive Ooh. to do and Ooh. it's a very long-term play. It's something that can take a decade. It's something that doesn't happen overnight. Certainly markets move a little bit faster than that. Definitely. 
And it's easier wow. to generate, at least in our opinion, upside revenue on companies than it is to fight patent litigation or patent wars and go down that road. Although we do go down that road. So your past experience, Movi, Joyce, some of the other ones, um, yeah. how did that lead you to Gusher then? Like what were, what were your experiences that you were like, gosh, darn it, I need to create this sure. so that I can do my stuff. I mean, this is, it was, was Gusher the outcome of what you needed? Gusher was really the outcome of a totality almost in a way of every business I had done previously. So from the time that I was 18 in New York City doing software type of deals and then business brokerage and then consumer goods companies, medical device companies, every aspect of whatever I did, there was always a component of what's called time equity. So for example, we were just talking about patents. If I needed a patent attorney, I wouldn't actually pay a patent attorney. What I would be able to do is to convince and persuade a patent attorney to take a certain percentage equity in that company. So that may be an aspect of that company. I wouldn't have to come up with 10, 20, 30,000 to do it. They may take half of 1% or 1%. Or if I needed, let's say, a landlord uh, because I needed that precise location for whatever reason it was, they would end up taking a piece of the company. They would share in the equity of the company. Or even if it was a supplier or a packaging designer or a machine maker, whatever it may, may be, they would always end up getting involved in the company so that you didn't have to have this large amount of capital to actually get that company launched. And, you know, looking back at at all the different businesses, it just kind of came together under Gusher. What we saw with Gusher and, and we started testing out in the beginning stages really was the patterns or what allowed these people, anybody that just had an idea to be able to actually create that company. So we have all this knowledge, but how do you actually transmit that knowledge in a workable system, a workable methodology that allows really anyone from anywhere, so long as they have an idea, to go ahead and actually launch. Well, that's what took us the time in creating our our different iterations. You know, we have it down pretty tightly now as to what works, what doesn't work, the steps that's required. And we take, you know, the founder, the entrepreneur through those steps. And so long as they follow it, they have a very high level of success in terms of getting out the gates. Uh, Right now, we're approximately 80% of the companies that are on Gusher are end up getting what's called funded, meaning they're able to get that initial team. They're able to start getting that product and start bringing it to market and start getting traction. So that's that's pretty damn high. So a company, so let's say I have an idea and I have a company, explain to kind of break down the process. So, so just, just so we know too, yeah, the, sure. the, the goal here is that let's say you have a developer, you have somebody else that can bring valuable uh, assets to a company. They've got skills, they've got resources. And so through Gusher, they are able to get equity within a company if they invest those resources. So if I'm a developer, I say, look, you know, if I can help you build this thing, you're going to give me 4% of the company. Is that, is that, kind of how it works? Yeah, pretty much. But think of it this way. Instead of thinking of it on an individual level, think of it as a team level when you're doing a startup from ideation. So let's say you have an idea, okay? Whatever that idea is. I don't care whether it's a software company or whether it's a consumer type of good, a CPG company, or even whether it's a service, something else out there, whatever it may be. Um, Typically, in order to leapfrog your growth, you have a couple roads of doing it. You can grind it out yourself and go linearly over years and you know, save and start growing it. Or you can go ahead and utilize like Gusher, where what you're able to do is have a team there from the beginning stage that has 
this knowledge that you need to have to go ahead and leapfrog your development. So instead of having, let's say, a standard, you know, first generation product, you're able to leapfrog development and create something that is more salable. We'll be able to get more traction in the marketplace. So let's use that software, you know, company as an example. If you have an idea for whatever it may be, right, you may need a front end developer, a back end developer. You may need a UI UX person. You may need a graphics design, but also you need a marketing person, a marketing director. Mm -hmm. You may need a sales director for the sales validation. When you bring that whole team together with the idea stage at the beginning, the product, that initial product that's created is a lot better than if you were doing it on your own. And we're actually making a case that it'll actually be a lot better than if you were just paying people. And the reason is, hear me oh, out. Yeah, because they have they, ownership. Right, they have ownership. They have a vested interest. So people are rowing in the same direction and the product output is a hell of a lot better quality because the only way that they actually get anything is if it works. And that's really the main point is that all these people are working on the same thing at the same time to bring it to life. How are you through Gusher able to overcome the risk that a service provider, you know, because so let's say I'm a programmer and, uh, you know, I've got, a, you know, I've got a couple of people on my team. Um, they, you know, they want to get paid. I, I want to get paid. The typical model is that I do the work and I get paid. Yep. You a PHP developer. I'm a PHP developer. I'm going to build this for you. Uh, and I think through Gusher, like I would think that the fear would be, look, I could do all this work and chances are I'm not going to get anything because I don't, I'm not convinced that these guys are going to be able to go to market and, and get their sales. How do you give them the developer that comfort? Well, think of it this way, okay? You said a main word there. You're not convinced. The whole point is if somebody comes into Gusher and let's say you're looking to possibly join or start up, if you're not convinced, that's the main thing right off the bat. You shouldn't be mm. part of it. So that, that's, that's number one uh, qualification right, right off the bat. But here's what happens. This is what we see. There's typically some type of vested interest in the idea that a person that joins a startup, uh, what we call the role applicants, actually plays. So they have a tie to it in some way. So to utilize an extreme example, or not even an extreme example, this is actually a real example. We have a company on our platform uh, that has to do with, let's say, the mental health vertical. All right. Very important stuff. Something where there's crisis. There's a lot of people that are, let's say, committing suicide in a certain way. So this entrepreneur set out a doctor of psychology, set out to go ahead and create a different type of mental health platform. Well, guess who are the people that are getting involved in that deal? In terms of the developers, in terms of the marketing side, in terms of the sales, the UI, UX design, almost all these people that are part of our team have some tie into that, some personal experience in either a family member, a friend, themselves, whatever it may be, that have experienced a similar problem that she's trying to solve. So they get involved with ideas typically that they feel they can have impact on, but that also resonates Uh, resonates uh, in a personal way with them. So it's not like it's just a commodity type of transaction. It's something where people get involved in startups that they can have an impact on, but also that resonates with them in a personal way. If it doesn't, they shouldn't get involved, you know, but also a lot of people, uh, Josh, when it comes to, you know, creating the team side is, and you used an example where they have a team um, already in place, let's say a company in place versus an individual. Well, a lot of companies have 
excess capacity. A lot of individuals actually have excess capacity, just like sure. a factory running a machine. So utilizing that excess capacity in a fully way is something that also is a way that they can participate with Gusher and actually monetize that. So I've got remnant labor. I've got, you know, uh, so, so the, you know, the agency owner, the service provider, they say, look, um, you know, I can do this in the evening. I believe in this concept. Uh, are there any success stories that you can point to and say, look, you know, these guys, uh, you know, we brought together the right team. They got the product. It went to market, uh, that 6%, the 10%, whatever it is. I mean, they ended up making more. Yep than Where, had they just yeah. charged, you know, 40 bucks an hour or whatever. Sure. And right at this stage where we are, we're literally, quite literally coming out of beta. So I wish mm-hmm. I had those stories for you right this yeah. second. What the stories that we have right now are that the entrepreneurs are getting their teams together. Uh, the entrepreneurs are in development stage. The entrepreneurs are just coming now out of development stage and about to hit the market. So check with me in about three to six months <laughs> and you'll actually have some of those going on. One of the companies that actually is doing really well and about to hit the marketplace is a company called Baru, B-A-R-U. And Baru is basically an augmented reality app that allows the custom manufacturer of furniture uh, that basically feeds directly to the excess capacity of these woodworking manufacturing plants across the country. So Josh, let's say you were in New York City, all right? Well, if you're in New York City and you're going ahead and buying furniture, you're tight on space there. Uh, You need stuff that's custom versus going out to, let's say, a standard furniture store, for real. It's the way that it's done. So with their app, with their platform, you can literally just pull up your phone. You can instantly size the furniture as it's fitting in your room. You actually see the imagery against whatever's there. You're able to order directly and you're able to get custom made furniture delivered to your door in just a couple days at the same price as regular furniture. So it's an interesting model. It's taking advantage of excess capacity of all these wood manufacturing plants across the globe while bringing that cost savings and the customization and putting that power directly in a consumer's hands. That's something we think has huge upside potential. Yeah. So I'm looking, so right now I'm on, um, I've got your website pulled up here. And so I'm looking at gusher.co and it's kind of fun looking at some of the roles uh, that are available. I mean, there's copywriter, UX designer, graphic designer, sure. Android developer, uh, I saw some interesting ones, marketing director, uh, I've got some software developer, full stack, uh, iOS developer, of course. What's that again? Mathematicians, food scientists, material yeah. engineers, uh, biomedical people, you name it. Sure. We even have yeah, CEOs. So, I mean, one of the deals that's looking for a CEO. Wow. Wow. Yep. So yeah, all I different types. Yeah, that's that's really fascinating. So, from a supply and demand perspective, wh- what are you finding? You have an an, an in excess uh, as opposed to you know we could probably use a little you know a few more of X. Sure. It's almost in a way, it parallels anything almost in a way in the standard job market. So what you think there may be stuff that's tight on, like a lot of people say, oh, developers, it's such a growing market. It's tight to go ahead and hard and difficult to recruit, or it may be able difficult to recruit SaaS people in terms of the sales side of it because there's such a demand for them. The, the answer is yes and no. Yes, initially it may seem like that, all right? But what we found is, again, it depends on the actual startup and the way that it resonates – 
because these people mm-hmm. are looking for something different. So even though you may be an Android developer, even though you may be some SaaS sales pro that's popping a quarter million to a half a million a year doing whatever it may be, the fact of the matter is it's much different when you're actually an owner in that company. And I'm not mm-hmm. talking about a couple options at best over five or 10 years. I'm talking about bringing something to life where you're able to help craft that based upon your vision also from the beginning stage. And that has a much different appeal. So we really haven't had any difficulty going ahead and recruiting for whatever position it is, even difficult positions like Unity developers, which are notoriously very difficult to go ahead and find because they're in such high demand for gaming development. But mm-hmm. you would also think maybe professional services such as a food scientist would be kind of tough. It's not because these people, again, are looking for something else that they can be part of, that they can have impact and actually add value to their life in a great way. It's not just for the money. It's about the actual launch and creating something. Wow. So for the, why do you think that um, most, this loaded question, why why do you think that most startup, maybe we kind of already talked about this. Maybe the issue is truly is um, they just aren't able to get off the ground. Do you you think that's why most startups fail uh, is just that they just don't, they they just can't make it a reality. I I think there's two questions there and hear me out on this. All right. Mm -hmm. There's startups that are already, let's say being created and as to why they fail, let me call those funded startups. All right. Funded Mm -hmm. startups in the standard way with capital typically fail, in my opinion, because of two things. One, they they broke a golden rule. And the golden rule on our side is that really it has to be good idea first, money second. What they're able to go ahead and do is attract capital typically into their company at an early stage based upon the idea or the seeding of it without actually proving it in the marketplace in any way, shape, or fashion. What's called vetting by the market. So that to us is really the number one deal killer. So something like Gusher, and yes, to toot my own horn, uh, is that Gusher itself is what's called a self-betting platform. If you put an idea out there and you're not able to attract a team, guess what, Josh? You're out right off the bat. It's something Mm -hmm. that you should go ahead and rework the idea. If you're able to go ahead and attract a team, guess what? You've already, in a way, vetted in the marketplace because people are buying into your concept based upon the potential of what it is versus just cutting you a check and running the numbers and saying, hopefully, one out of 10 of them works. All right. That's number one. But number two, when it comes to companies that, let's say, aren't funded as to why they fail in the marketplace, the vast majority of companies, at least in terms of the idea stage, they never see the light of day almost in a way because they have handcuffs that they can't figure out how to even get to square one. Mm -hmm. So I think it's more or less the failure of the idea to ever be given life is that it's not pursued because the entrepreneur doesn't believe that they have a viable way of actually bringing it to life. And Josh, one in 700 entrepreneurs gets funded. That's it. Yeah. So what happens to those other 699? Right. That's where all those ideas die. And that's the almost in a way the travesty that we're looking to go ahead and change is we believe that human potential really needs to be unlocked. And that's why we created Gusher. Give them a shot at that at also and bringing their idea to life. You know, I don't have a lot of experience in talking with uh, investors seriously about attracting money for a venture. Um, I've always been able to successfully bootstrap and kind of get over that. Um, most recently, we've had some opportunities that we wanted to take advantage of. Um, took 
talked to a couple of investors and and as I looked down that dark hallway, <laughs> I didn't like what I saw. <laughs> I mean, if you're talking about only one in 700 startups get funded, that gives someone who's looking to invest in startups. I mean, obviously there's a lot of risk involved there, uh, but you know, who's in the catbird seat there? Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, I feel like most startups kind of, you know, if they really need the money, their back's against the wall. Right, absolutely. And here's the thing, but see, you, you've done two things which are really important. When you bootstrap and you do it that way, right off the bat, cash flow and marketing becomes the primary thing. So oh, you've yeah. already met rule number one, and that's the good idea first, money second. You've put it right. out there, you're generating cash. Okay, once you're generating cash, that's the time to actually go after investors. But even still, what, what the investors are able to do is they're able to segment down and do what's called de-risking deals almost completely. So venture capitalists, most people think of venture capitalists as, okay, somebody walks into their room, this person's got a great idea, and they're suddenly going to fund them, and that idea comes to life. You know, that's a fairy tale. It occasionally happens. It rarely, rarely happens. What typically happens is an entrepreneur creates a business. They get a proof of concept. They start getting traction in the marketplace, meaning they're getting some type of customers. They're seeing it go. They start getting rapid growth, and now the venture capitalist will come in after it's been de-risked, or at least the mm-hmm. risk has been lowered greatly to the point where they're not doing just, let's say, a research type of deal that's an unknown. And most entrepreneurs don't realize that. So it's something where almost in a way, especially at this stage of the internet and where it is, you can go ahead and put deals together without capital. You can test things out in very inexpensive or no-cost ways just to see, does this have any type of traction? You can test products without having a product. And that type of stuff is kind of important in the beginning stages to determine whether or not your idea is viable. But you're right about the investor being in the catbird seat. That's that's why we created Gusher is we felt that literally venture capitalists shouldn't have that say. Angel yeah. investors shouldn't be the king of money that they're handing it out on their throne. If anything, the marketplace should be the determination that the 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 one thing that actually determines whether or not your idea should come to life. And it should be based upon the market and whether or not people are willing to go ahead and either join your startup or help you in some way. So let's say that, uh, so I, I'm kind of a, uh, I know a few things about PR and branding and, right. and marketing and, you know, getting, you know, building buzz for companies. And, you know, I'm happy to, you know, I, I would have looked at it, you know, and this is kind of how I got my start is that with Savings Angel, we're doing pretty well. And I feel like, look, anytime you're successful in business, you should, you should take a portion of your time and or resources and you invest back and you help other people, you give them a hand up kind of thing. Yep. Uh, and so, you know, in some ways you could kind of look at this and say, well, this is how I'm going to do that. And uh, it allows me in some ways to almost be an investor um, and leverage this you know, this expertise that I've built because I've built successful companies before. Um, so someone like myself, you know, I could go through and say, hey, these guys are looking for uh, marketing and or, um, you know, visibility, help. Um, and I wonder how big those roles end up being. I mean, is you know, you right. talked about how someone could probably serve as an advisor on a part-time basis. Is that 
how it oh, yeah. works. But think of it this way, all right? And, and let's use you as an example, all right? You have this body of knowledge that if we have a startup, call it Startup A, whatever it may be, I mm-hmm. guarantee you if you took a look at it within 5, 10, 15 minutes, your mind would automatically, almost in a way, laser focus oh, yeah. down to the actions, right, the action steps, right? Absolutely. But think about if they were doing it. If they were doing it, they, how many years would it take them, Josh, to be able to get to that level? <laughs> Right. You know, there, there's something to be said for, you know, when you, when you do something for 12 years, you start to learn a few things that right. I would 12 years, it would take them 12 years to, exactly. to learn what I've learned. And that's a hundred percent dead on as to why you create teams with Gusher and mm. launch your startup. Because what you're able to do is take Josh, bring him onto your team. Josh is going to get two, three, four, five percent, maybe more, depending upon how key he is to the deal, to the actual startup. You're going to come in with laser focus. It's not going to be something that you're there a hundred hours a week. You're bringing your skill set in there right at the beginning when it can have the most impact. Because right. you're helping determine the trajectory of that company versus trying to correct some mess down the road a year or two from now, or trying to go ahead and breathe life to something that's dead or a walking zombie. You're giving life. You're putting your DNA into that baby from the very beginning. So the chances of its success are much, much higher. And you're able to bring in your laser focused skill set to it, which is the attraction. So in terms of like where you guys are at right now, in terms of a platform, I know you're just kind of coming out of beta right now, but it looks as though there's a lot of there's a lot of handshaking going on, or there's a oh, lot yeah. of, uh, there, there's a lot of, uh, from, you know, from what I can tell on the outside, it seems like there's a lot of activity. Yep. We, we have our first approximately, I think, 45 deals as of this morning, 45 startups that are in Eesh. the platform and moving along. So we have everything from SaaS to medical device to consumer goods, and they're located all over the place. Uh, international also. They are U.S.-based corporations, but the entrepreneurs themselves are also international all over the place. So everything yeah. from Krasnodar, Russia, Barranquilla, Colombia, um, to, oh my gosh, Monaco, uh, all over Europe, all over the United States. I mean, all of, from Silicon Valley to New York and everything in between. Canada, Central America, you name it. What are your favorite ideas for getting an idea validated or coming up with an MVP in a way that, you know, some people might say, well, look, I don't even know how to do an MVP because I'd have to build this thing and even to prototype it. I just, I don't have access to like, how do you, uh, how, how do you get to that point? Think of it this way. I I was actually thinking about this this morning that bad ideas lead to good ideas. Okay. Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, And, and, when I say bad ideas, a person may have an idea in their head as to what may be a real problem out there, right? And they may go about thinking about it a certain way, but it never gets passed out of their head. I believe in actually releasing those bad ideas out into the wild and talking with people about them, whether it's your friends, your family, your coworkers, even strangers about the bad idea. Because what will happen is the following, typically. That bad idea will start getting chiseled down into something that's a good idea, that's something that should be made. And you'll start seeing that right off the bat. But fundamentally, with Gusher, there's almost in a way no bad ideas. What we say is that there should be a problem that should be identified. So it's not a function of really, as an entrepreneur, you're trying to sit there and create a solution. You're trying to identify a problem as the main quote unquote idea. Because from my perspective, it's not up to you as the entrepreneur to solve this problem. It's your, your, your main core reason for being is to identify that problem and put the team together that actually yeah. solves. 
that problem. So I may have, you know, a problem. Identify it as X, Josh, but you're now part of that team. You're going to know damn well how to get that out there in some way to help generate that first bit of traction that takes a lot of pressure off it and determines whether or not it's valid. You know, that's yeah. the whole point of the team is that you're able to go ahead and create something like that prototype, that MVP, that first version, but not you as just the entrepreneur, but you as an entire team that's bringing that laser focused skill set that adds value to it. Because if you're sitting there and you think if it's a piece of crap and isn't going to fly, chances are, A, you're not going to go ahead and join the startup, which means that other people probably aren't either, which means that idea has to be re reworked. But if you join it and you think there's something there, you're the going to put some effort into it and the value that you bring is just going to make that idea better it's as simple as that mm -hmm. so it's stages yeah you know in, in my world too it's it's interesting I, I feel like there's these these kind of two camps you, you have kind of this you know these the, this group of entrepreneurs that are kind of aiming toward the you know they want to attract uh funding they they, they want to grow and scale they want to build a big team uh, and then you've got this world of the kind of this solopreneur where I think they're trying to do everything themselves yep. and it just takes them forever and they wonder why they stagnate and, uh, you know, they just, and I get it when you're like, well, look, I don't have the money to invest in a team, but, you know, it's, it's like, look, you know. What percentage of all of the work that gets done in my company, what percentage of that work am I doing? It's, it's 5%. I mean, I, of, all of, the, of all the hours being put in, of sure. all of the, uh, you know, I'm a small part of a larger team now. And because of that, I, we're just able to do more stuff. We right. can impact more people. We can have a bigger right. impact on the world. And, and you so built, you took the time to build the team. You took time to build yeah. the processes. You created something that sales wise and income wise creates a structure that's duplicable and scalable. So whereas a solopreneur, if you're doing something to go ahead, that's not scalable. Like, okay, you're talking to people, you're learning how to sell, you're doing whatever that's stuff that does eventually scale. Okay. Those skill sets. But if you're sitting there just doing busy work all the time and you're the only person and not growing it, that's typically the death knell. That's what prevents you from getting to that next stage. You have to yeah. think outside yourself and how to go ahead and build structures. And there's certainly nothing wrong with a lifestyle business. And I think a solopreneur can get, you know, they can knock on the door six figures. It's not, you know, it's not impossible to do. Uh, but getting to seven figures, there aren't too many seven figure solopreneurs on the planet. And getting to eight and nine is a much different story. Yeah, forget there. it. Uh, please. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you're going to, you're just going to need a team. Um, do you, um, I mean, I, I guess it, it really depends on the company, the skills you come into it. But I wonder what are what are some of the early hires that that you see a lot uh, for, you know, start made it. Boy, these guys are really in demand. Like, or if if I'm a solopreneur and I want to start expanding out, like, I don't know what what do you typically see as like. Some of your first Here's the thing that I think of when, when I, if I was from a solopreneur position, okay, let me reframe yeah. it a little bit, all right? I try sure. to think of it in terms of product, even if it's a service-oriented business. My question is to a solopreneur, and I try to steer them this way a lot of times, is that you're there to go ahead and craft a product and a process that's duplicable. So I don't care if you're a concierge where you're there helping people at their conferences one-on-one. -on -one. If you want to scale that, you have to put a process in 
place, a process of hiring, of training, a process of communication, a process of advertising, a process of collection of payment, a process of invoicing, the process of interaction with your customers. The second you put the processes in place, that's what ends up being scalable. Otherwise, you're just a rat running around on a wheel all day, which is okay. Listen, if that's what you want to do and that's what you're comfortable in, so be in. But if you're sitting there at the end of your day, tired, hating life, start building (laughs) processes out. And usually to build processes out, you need people. It's as simple as that. So you can take your time yourself and learn each of these processes over a long period of time, or you bring in a team and just snap it and get it done to allow you to scale. Cool. What's your prediction for the next 12 months for Gusher? Uh, we'll launch over 12,000 startups and right on our way to a million. So our, our long-term goal is a million. I know it sounds actually batshit crazy. I get it. I understand. You know, in our plans, we say 25,000 startups over the course of the next three, three and a half years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, when there's 300 million people on the globe that are researching and trying to figure out how to launch and create a startup in some way, we think a million startups is not that undoable. We think it's a goal that's able to be reached. uh, And we think we have a methodology that can do it, especially considering market sizes and what's going on with the globe. Well, I mean, it's just, it's, you're just a, you're a platform. And so, uh, you know, it's like, uh, you know, the Uber, I hate to use this expression, but you know, it's like this, this Uber of just connecting, you know, people that can provide services and help with people that are like, look, I've got the thing let's do this together. Let's bring it to market and sharing that. Right. And giving um, the framework to do that because there are a lot of steps in between that, you know, a founder does have to go through the process of doing it. So we create those steps and provide the structure that enables them to do that. So it's not just, let's say a connection where you meet up and stuff magically gets done. When you're dealing with a founder and creating startups and teams, there are things that are done, or I should say the goals, the milestones, the methodology, the processes that we actually provide and help the, the entrepreneurs and the teams go through those stages. So it is something that is not just, let's say, here's where we're meeting, connecting, and hopefully everything works out. We find that actually doesn't work. Uh, you have to go ahead and provide a certain amount of structure that enables that entrepreneur to go ahead and knock out those goals with the team. And that's really what Gusher is also. Amazing. Amazing. So Chris, uh, exciting times. Uh, and uh, how, do, how, do, how do you think you're going to get to that level? Like, it's, I mean, it's kind of an, is it just an awareness thing? Do you think? I mean, is it education? Like how do you, how do you get to those bigger levels? I mean, obviously I think some success stories and, you know, uh, trumpeting those success stories. I think that's going to be pretty inspiring to a lot of, you know, the, the 699, (laughs) you know, 700 startups that are like, I forget this, man. What what am I doing here? I got to get going. Well, well think, it, think of it this way. When, when you've done, and I know you've done business for a long time, right? And, and you're going to internalize this or say this in your own way, but I know it's going to resonate in some way, Josh, all right? And that's when it comes to doing business, you put stuff out there in a certain way. And so long as you're growing, eventually what's going to happen typically is you're going to bust through and it starts becoming a life of its own. All right. So let me give you a quick example. I had a low carbohydrate food manufacturing company. We went from zero to 50 million inside of three years. And we were one of the largest, not the largest low carb baking operation out there. Well, let me Uh tell you something. That first year I was sleeping on a factory floor. I was making the product. I was delivering it in the winter. It was frozen where I had my air conditioning on in the car as I was driving to stores. And guess what? That's not scalable. That's something that doesn't, you know, you can't do your whole life doing that. But sure enough, certain articles would come out and we'd start 
start growing suddenly. Then people started knocking on our door to invest and the company starts growing like wildfire and it just expands, expands, expands all over the place. So what ends up doing is you do the stuff that's not scalable until it catches on. And with Gusher, we think we're right at the right timing at the right place in the right moment in history that we think that demand is there and we think it is going to take off. It's just a function of time. And as you said, a couple success stories and we're out there and those are well underway right now. So it's just a matter of time and effort. Brilliant, brilliant. Chris, thank you so much. Uh, I hear the uh, the helicopter blades whirring. That's our cue. We need to get you out of here. You're up in, uh, are you up in Delaware? Yep, Wilmington, Delaware. Nice. That's, That's how do you like it? back to you on that helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> how do you like, to, how long you been in Delaware? Been in Delaware for going, oh my God, seven, eight years now in Philadelphia for yeah. about 10, 11 years before that. But Ohio. Yeah, what what keeps you in Delaware? Uh, my wife. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so she's a mega, mega fan of Delaware. Exactly. Del- Philadelphia, really. But we're one mile from the Philadelphia border. Here. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. Okay. We're Philadelphia adjacent. We'll use the Beverly Hills. Oh. Great, great. Chris, thanks so much, man. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Josh. There you have it, listeners. Unbelievable. If you love spying on Josh as much as I do, occupational hazards and all, then subscribe to this podcast. If you want to find more resources to spy on Josh through, then check out upmyinfluence.com. The good news is that Podhacker is coming to prime me out of the vent. I have to get a rabies shot. This is Morse code. Over and out.